um, the Bible reading is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of, these prophecy, of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. John, is the, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wait on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom of the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Semna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of dead and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thanks be to God. Good evening, good people. So I'm going to pray for us, as Reggie said, uh, we're starting a new series titled Going Through the Most. Can you touch your neighbor and say going through the most? You don't have to do that. <laughs> um, 
Going through the modes, uh, for those of us who don't know what the term means, uh, it is a term, I think millennials, I don't use that language, by the way, I'm going through the modes. I think it's mostly Gen Z and, am I a millennial? I don't know. Um, am I? <laughs> I grew up in a village. Isn't a millennial the way you view the world? Um, uh, anyway, but uh, going through the most simply defines what we've been through. Um, it's been a tough journey, and we really want to hear from God what he has to say to us, to encourage us um, as we um, come back to normal life, and as we still uh, kind of battling with a pandemic, as we still face uh, the fears that uh, some of us um, are going through. Um, you see, it's, um, it's very... <laughs> To think about a pandemic when it's out there, you see the news in Brazil. I think that was, for me, the most shocking thing, seeing graves uh, being dug and, like, people having five minutes uh, to grieve and bury their dead. Um, It was just shocking for me. But I think it's even more shocking when it comes closer to home, isn't it? Uh, When somebody close to you catches COVID and they... (laughs) Older than, um, or older, and the part of the risky um, people who are categorized as the, um, those who are in danger. It, it hits home, uh, and the fear lures in, uh, and it becomes a real uh, thing that's closer to home. So, as we speak about these things, uh, they're not so far off from us. We have been through uh, the most. So, I'm going to pray for us that God will help us uh, as we encounter His Word and as we see what he has uh, for us this evening. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for keeping us. Thank you that we can sing together, that you are a great God, that there is no one uh, compared uh, to you. Um, I pray, Lord, that that would impact the way we live. Um, I pray that we would not just hear your your word um, or some of these things that we perhaps have read before. I pray that they would become life to us that as we live and uh, walk uh, in life, we would uh, just see a vision of who you are, and that would encourage us, Lord, uh, to live lives that please you. So I do pray that as we begin this journey through Revelation, that you would show us something of yourself, something of your goodness, something of your majesty, and, Lord, that we'd be drawn closer to you and we would be impacted. Um, So we pray for your help uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. We normally start off sermons, I haven't preached for six months, we normally start the sermons with an intro just to kind of give you the grips of life and how the scripture that we're going to read uh, impacts your life and connects to your life. But I think the past six months have been a good introduction, isn't it? Um, That um, on a global uh, context, we've lost over a million people, a million people um, that uh, are no more uh, in the last six months. So it's uh, really devastated us. Things haven't been normal. The billboards all have uh, COVID uh, things. All the websites uh, have uh, a description of what you should do uh, and should not do, a warning about uh, this pandemic. Things are just uh, not normal. Uh, perhaps somebody is listening in, and it's a couple of years from now. They don't understand what you're talking about. It's recorded. Just to give you a context, we have been through a global pandemic called COVID-19. We were locked up in our houses 21 days. Wasn't it nice for the first five days to just be chilling at home? I don't have to go to work. 
um, it's amazing. I'm cooking. I was cooking maguenya, uh, fat cook. It was just lovely. As you can see by my, um, <laughs> by the way I look, um, we've, uh, we didn't flatten the curve. Uh, it was not successful. Um, it was amazing spend, spending time with family. But 21 days hit and you're just like, is there going to be an end to this? Uh, is this thing ever going to come to um, an end? And I think that is bad in of itself. Uh, but the worst thing is the, the side effects or the, the, <laughs> the non-COVID stuff that uh, affected us, the economy. Uh, suddenly, the cracks that were there in our society were brought to the front, isn't it? Uh, racial inequalities, um, uh, economic inequalities, uh, gender-based violence, the stats shot up uh, during the first week of uh, lockdown. Those things were there and uh, alive in our society, but they were, I guess, brought to the, uh, to the uh, shore um, and to the surface because of this uh, pandemic. On a personal level, even as you hear uh, Bantu's story, uh, there's so many things that we personally struggled with, uh, loneliness, um, issues of uh, struggling with our own habitual sin, uh, because right there in that moment you left alone, um, and the true you comes out, um, and uh, sin has a way of just waiting for you um, to be alone, uh, to pounce um, on you. Um, the Bible uh, describes Satan as a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And so as we go through a pandemic, um, personally just seeing my own ungodliness uh, towards just being frustrated with, with having two children. Man, it's like <laughs> these people. Um, I just want time to myself. I just want to be um, alone and not have to deal uh, with crying babies. Um, and just the... On and on, uh, the thing um, when we have been through the most, haven't we? Um, and I guess the question when we go through challenging times, the question that we ask ourselves is, where is God in all of this? Um, if there is a God, does he even see us? There's a Sotwana song that says, um, the God of the orphans are now reborn and now. Like, do you, do you really see us? And it's Man, that song is um, it's deep because it's, um, it's um, a song that somebody who's perhaps lost everything uh, would sing and say, God, do you truly see us? Um, do you truly uh, care about us? Perhaps the more, most important questions that we should be asking ourselves, um, perhaps you are a Christian this evening, maybe you're not a Christian. The, the, the question that we should be asking ourselves is how should we think about God when things um, go south? How should we think about God when we are going through the most? Because as we would read, especially in our morning service, we're going through the book of Job, um, as we see in the book of Revelation, uh, sometimes we don't have the answers um, to life. Uh, sometimes the world is big and complicated. And what Revelation is going to show us is that we need a big God to help us understand our big and complicated world. Um, we need a big God to help us understand our big and complicated world. And I think there's no book like Revelation that presents us with a picture of a majestic God. And I don't know if, as you were reading through some of the imagery uh, in Revelation, 
uh, you saw just how majestic God is and how majestic Jesus is as he's uh, portrayed in this few, uh, few verses. Um, two dominant pictures that we see um, in Revelation is this majesty of God on the one hand uh, and chaos on the other hand. Uh, so God is big, God is in control, uh, but at the same time, we see that the world uh, is a messy place. Um, at the same time, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like God is not um, in control. And so as we approach any book of the Bible, we need to kind of figure out, well, what kind of book are we dealing with? Um, as it teaches us about this majestic God, um, we realize that it's a letter that's written to a couple of groups um, uh, of churches. Have a look at verse 11, if you have your Bibles open there, Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. These are real people who are going through a real uh, situation. Have a look at verse 11. Uh, write what you see in, in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna. So those are real physical places that you would have been um, talking about. Um, Jesus is saying to John that you ought to write what you see now and send it and distribute it to believers in Jesus um, across these different uh, places. Um, I want you to teach them about the majesty um, of God. So that's the first thing that we see there, that it's a letter. Um, it is part of what is called apocalyptic literature. Um, now, many of us hear the word apocalypse. We probably think a movie with a crazy guy uh, with a sign saying, the end is near, repent, right? Like, uh, that's our picture of apocalypse, zombie apocalypse. Um, there was this video going around in, in, on Facebook saying, no, like, COVID is boring. We want zombies. We want, like, a real pandemic. Uh, so when we think about the end of the world or, well, when you think about the word apocalypse, normally we associate it with um, the end of the world, Right? Um, which is not necessarily the case um, in apocalyptic literature. It is the way in which Jewish people uh, wrote um, and thought. Um, and apocalyptic literature, at its most simple form, is when the curtain is pulled um, back uh, and uh, we are shown um, where God is. So the heavens, the curtain that separates our reality and God's reality is torn open, uh, and we see into uh, the reality of God's space, God's realm, which is heaven. Uh, so that's at its most basic um, definition. Apocalyptic literature gives us a picture of heavenly realities in light of our current um, reality. Uh, so we are shown and uh, given a picture into God's space uh, and God's uh, reality. In other words, as you read Revelation, you see a chaotic world, uh, but Jesus reveals John, to John the realities of what's happening in the heavenly realms, um, of what's happening with the Messiah uh, who was crucified uh, and who is risen. And God says, well, this is um, another reality uh, that you need to, um, to look at. Uh, so that's a bit about apocalyptic literature. Uh, as we approach it, we need to uh, understand that it uses pictures and images that sometimes people distort to come up with all sorts of crazy uh, theories. Um, so if you want to just 
um, maybe do some further reading on Revelation and how to read Revelation. There's a great article on the Gospel Coalition um, called Four Ways. The Gospel Coalition Africa uh, is written by a guy from Cape Town. Um, they do sometimes write uh, good stuff. Um, <laughs> it's called Four Ways, Four Different Ways to Read Revelation. Uh, so if you uh, have been to or listened to any man of God um, preaching from Revelation, uh, you have probably all watched the movie uh, that makes allusions um, to Revelation. Um, they probably use it to predict the future. Uh, so some people use it uh, and they look at the the events of the world and say, well, we know the world is going to end because obviously Obama is the Antichrist um, and the chip, the 666 is probably that uh, app that they created to track coronavirus. Um, so the world is coming to an end. So that's one way that people um, use Revelation um, to predict what's going to happen uh, in the future. Another way of reading Revelation is uh, people use it as uh, something that uh, a kind of key to interpret history, right? So the rise and falls of empires, uh, church history, people look at some of the images in Revelation and say, well, this is what's happening and this is what this verse was referring to. Um, so they, it's normally crazy Americans actually uh, who come up with these crazy ideas um, about um, revelation and what's happening. Um, so most of those um, approaches have some hint of truth to it um, in that revelation is actually about the past, the present, and the future. Uh, revelation is predominantly written, as we saw in verse 11, um, to those group of churches to help them make sense of the world that they were living in. As we said, um, we need a big God to help us make sense of our big and complicated world. And that's what Revelation does. It makes a sense of the world that these Christians were living in, um, a world that was plagued by persecution. Uh, we don't know at this stage, as John is writing, um, they were, Christians were persecuted. And on the horizon, there was coming an empire who was going to make it legal uh, for Christians uh, to be Persecuted, So they're going through difficulties. And at the same time, they're living with this tension of being sucked in by the culture around them. Uh, and so Jesus reveals to John the heavenly realities and, and, and what God is up to um, so as to help them live in the here and now. So it's about the past, what God has done. It's about the present, uh, who God is, where he is right now, and what he's busy doing. It's about the future and how it's going to end, uh, how is it going to end um, ultimately. Um, many of us, I personally, we grew up, um, we didn't have a TV, so there was one, um, because there was no electricity, um, there was one place where we could watch uh, movies. And back then we used VHS, and Fandam was the best, uh, one of the best movies to watch, um, I mean, you knew that he was a superhero, uh, but there was always there were always those rich kids uh, who would uh, it was it cost one rand uh, to watch a movie, so they would uh, put that uh, VHS and call all the kids. You pay one rand to get in. There were those kids who always uh, had money and would watch the movie before, uh, and then come with you. Man, you need to come see this movie, 
Uh, and then as you're watching the movie, they, what, guess what they do? Oh, you must see. Come he, shy, Like, he's gonna, he's gonna hit him now. And, and like, they, they spoil the movie for you. So, spoiler alert, um, as you read Revelation, you see that in the end, God is victorious. In the end, uh, the Christ, um, the king of God's kingdom, is going to bring an end uh, to all of evil. But that is not just a future reality. It has already begun as he died on the cross uh, and as he rose um, up um, from, from the grave. So the present reality is that Jesus has conquered sin and one day he will come uh, ultimately, finally, uh, to bring an end uh, to all of our pain and all of our, our suffering. Listen to what um, a commentator says about uh, Revelation. He says that the goal of Revelation is to bring encouragement to the believers of all ages that God is working out his purposes even in the midst of tragedy, suffering, and apparent satanic domination. That as those Christians back then in the first centuries read this book, they would be encouraged um, that God is working out his purposes even in the midst of their brokenness. Now, this isn't a book necessarily about um, coronavirus or how to deal with coronavirus, but again, it gives us a big picture um, of God who is in control, who is in charge, even in the midst of tragedy, suffering, um, and apparent satanic domination, apparent um, sin, because uh, at times it looks like sin and evil uh, is winning. He continues to say, it is the Bible's battle cry of victory, for in it, more than anywhere in the New Testament, is revealed the final victory of God over all the forces of, of evil. As such, it is an encouragement to God's people to persevere in the assurance that their final reward is certain. And listen to this in the here and now, to worship and glorify God despite trials and despite temptations, uh, temptations to march to the world's drumbeat. Um, so what Revelation is doing is giving us a picture of God, this heavenly scene of people uh, and creatures worshiping and bowing down before uh, this God uh, who is seated on the throne. Uh, and it's encouraging the believers who find themselves not actually <laughs> trusting that this God is, um, is going to uh, bring about an end to their suffering. God opens up the curtain and says, that is what's happening uh, so you ought to be joining in that heavenly worship. You ought to be joining in that reality of people who are going to bow down uh, and praise and bring praises um, to God. Um, and as you live in the culture that you're living in, um, to not march, I like what this commentator says, to not march to the drumbeat of our world. Isn't that a temptation? As you live in a world and as you see um, reality from our perspective, Man, sometimes it is hard to live uh, for God. Um, that's why he wants to give us uh, his own perspective. Uh, I just want to um, dive into it um, because what we're going to do for the next eight weeks um, is that we're going to look at it thematically, right? Um, we're going to look at different themes uh, that come up through Revelation uh, that give us a picture of, um, of what God, the message that God is bringing um, to these people. Um, so the different themes um, 
today's theme, which is dominant, this is the dominant theme, is the sovereignty of God. Um, that word is, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say it properly, but it just means God is big. God is bigger than your problems. Bazalani, amen. Um, I like the simple uh, Bible teaching when they just told you, man, God is bigger than your problems because that's what sovereignty means uh, as, uh, at, at, its, at its essence. John gives us a picture, and if you read throughout um, Revelation, you'll see that there's about more than 24 uh, pictures of a throne. Um, in fact, there's uh, close to 30 pictures of the throne. On the one hand, it's uh, Satan, uh, the powers of evil on the throne. Uh, but predominantly, we see a picture of God sitting um, on the throne. So that's the picture that we see, that God is seated uh, on his throne. Despite what is happening in this world, God is seated uh, on the throne. Uh, although reality may look a certain way to us, God is seated on the throne. As he uh, encourages these Christians in chapter 2 um, and 3, uh, although the life is chaotic, although you're falling into sin, the reality is, as we tear the curtain open, God is seated um, on the throne. Have a look at this picture of this majestic God. Uh, I think we'll just dive into verse 8. Uh, verse 8, um, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, remember the song in primary school, you Alpha and Omega. We worship you, uh, as they would say in Rustenburg. Um, Alpha and Omega simply means the beginning um, and the end. God is uh, the A, the Z. He's large and in charge. He's con in control of the past uh, and the future, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come. Um, in other words, um, God has been in control in the past. Uh, he's in control right now. Uh, and in the time to come, he will be in control. What a great comfort um, to have that perspective of reality. Because um, sometimes life doesn't look like God is in control, isn't it? Um, it looks like everything is falling apart. But here's a picture of a God um, who is majestic, a God who is in control of the past uh, and the future, the almighty, the one who has all the power. This is the God um, of, um, of the Bible. Um, let's continue to read. I like, um, let's keep it up. Let's pick it up from verse 9 there. Um, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation um, and, in, and in the kingdom um, and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the day, Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice with a trumpet saying, write, this, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches. Uh, let's skip to verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and uh, on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and the midst of the lampstand was one like a son of man. This is a picture uh, back uh, from um, in Daniel of this son of man clothed with a long rope and with a golden chest around his chest. This is a picture of majesty or splendor of someone who's in charge or someone who's kingly. The hair of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes, that's the picture of purity. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet 
were like burnished bronze refined in furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. As you see the picture, um, it is supposed to invoke uh, some kind of fear of fear and reverence uh, for uh, this picture that we see um, of the triune God. We're going to spend the next three weeks looking at different pictures of this one who's seated on the throne. Um, Verse 17, you know a lot of people normally say, (laughs) yeah, uh, there was this lady back back in Rustenburg um, who said, um, and I could see, I was a young Christian back then, uh, she had like marks uh, of being in an accident. Um, so her testimony was kind of be- almost believable um, when she said she had died and gone to heaven uh, and saw Jesus. Um, uh, there's another book called, I think, Conversations with God or something like that. Um, there's a lot of people who claim to perhaps have died or gone to heaven and they were just chilling and hanging out with, you, uh, with God uh, and it was all fun and games. Or many of us would say, man, one day when I get to heaven, I'm just going to ask God. Fill in the question that you're going to ask God. We're arrogant, aren't we? Have a look at verse 17. Uh, the reaction of somebody who actually encounters um, um, this um, who is seated on the throne. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand of me on me, saying, Skawara, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forever, and I have the key, keys of death and Hades. We're going to pick it up next week, because this is the picture of one who is seated on the throne. This is the picture of Jesus uh, who died and came back um, to life. If you jump over to chapter 4, you will see in chapter 4 and 5 alone the mentions of the one seated on the throne over and over again. Chapter 4, verse 2, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Again, this picture, you're going through tribulation, but God is seated on the throne. Verse uh, chapter 4, verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Again, another picture of other heavenly beings uh, giving homage, giving honor to this one who's seated on the throne. Uh, Verse 10, we can go on and on and on. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, um, this picture of a majestic God. We can go on and on and on. A revelation, the, the one picture that he wants to give us is a God who's seated on the throne. Why is it doing that? Uh, the Bible doesn't just tell us stuff for the sake of it. The Bible is not written in a vacuum. It's written to real people who are going through real challenges and God is showing them his majesty and that he's seated on the throne so that they would not see their present reality as the be all and end all. 
um, because there's something, there's a reality that's even um, more real than our reality, uh, and that's God's reality. Uh, this picture of one who's seated on the throne is a picture of ultimate power, of majesty um, and glory. It is a picture of an ancient, um, they used to have footstools, they used to have a, a seat, a throne. If you've watched any epic um, film, you see that um, the throne, the person sitting on the throne is, has ultimate power. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it in our modern um, terms, uh, because in Setona culture, it's not necessarily the, 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 the seat or the throne. We don't actually have that. Um, but when a king is wearing, um, help me out here, a leopard. Um, if you're wearing a leopard uh, robe, it means you have ultimate authority. Let me tell you a story about um, Bakata tribe. Um, so back long, long a time ago um, when the stones were still wet and uh, Martin was in uh, kindergarten, um, there was a king of the Bakata tribe, uh, and the king of the Bakata tribe had disputes with Paul Kruger uh, because he wanted to obviously take his land and use his guys um, as slaves. Um, and when he refused to bow down to, um, to Paul Kruger, uh, Paul Kruger wanted to flog him in front of his people. So the king, um, all that he needed to do was just go there and be flogged, take it on the chin, take it like a man, uh, go about his way. Um, but the king um, refused to bow down, refused um, to uh, be flogged by somebody else. And we are told that they uh, migrated to Botswana, now to a place called Muchudi, I think. Uh, so we have two Bakata tribes. Uh, now what had happened is that there was a group of other Bakata people who were living in that region around Pilanesbeck National Park. Um, but they had to be ruled, <laughs> but the king was in Botswana. And so they appointed a man um, to rule over the nation. But I'm told, I'm not, I don't have 100% uh, information on this, uh, that he could not wear uh, the robe. Uh, he could not wear the kingly robe. It had to be put on the floor uh, to display that actually he was not in charge. There was somebody else ruling, uh, and he was just there as a, what is it, a puppet king or, or somebody who's um, holding on uh, to some kind of authority. So there was a, a physical thing that represented a king, um, and as a king to be flogged, you were the one who administered the flogging. Um, you would not be flogged. You had power over your people. To be flogged meant you didn't have the power. Another picture that I think of when I think of a throne room is the White House. Um, and Michelle Obama has a story of um, just the transition of, of when the period ended. Um, that suddenly they, they had all this, the Secret Service in their case all the time protecting them. Um, can you imagine this? Barack Obama had the power to and the cause to the nuclear weapons. Uh, he was there in a place of authority to administer justice and to rule over uh, one of the most influential uh, countries um, in the world. Uh, and so the White House um, and the Oval Office is a picture 
of that power and that control. Michelle Obama says that immediately when the presidency ended and when they left the White House, everything was stripped off. It was as if they were going back um, to normal life. It was different. They didn't have the power uh, anymore. So as we read um, this uh, picture that we see of God sitting on the throne, this is what it should invoke to us, um, a, a a picture of authority. And as these Christians who were living with Caesar as Lord, um, they probably saw pictures, statues, coins that reminded them that there's somebody in charge. There's somebody who is king. But God, again, opens up the curtain and says, I am seated on the throne. Uh, I'm in a place of control um, and authority. I'm the one who administers uh, judgment. Yes, your reality may look a certain way, uh, but there's another reality that's much more powerful. Yes, those guys would look like they are lords and kings, but there is one who's seated on the throne. Amen. Uh, his name, um, we'll see next week. <laughs> but, but I think just as we think about the implications uh, for our lives, um, as we think about how the Bible presents to us a picture of God, we must never minimize the pain, the struggles that we go through. We must never think that, yeah, God is big, therefore my problems are small. Not really. Um, some of the things that we go through, they're real, um, they're challenging, uh, they pull us apart. Um, but often it helps to have a perspective of a reality bigger than our reality because it helps us to make sense of our big and complicated world. And I'm just going to end off with a story of pain. Um, this is, for me in my life, <laughs> the, the pain that I've ex not personally experienced, seeing somebody go through excruciating pain but having a different perspective um, didn't minimize the pain, but it helped them go through that pain. 2007 I think the date is the 27th of Jan. Um, we are in the early mornings at a clinic. My wife is about to pop. Um, and I think this is the most traumatizing thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, because where I come from, men do not go in when women are giving birth. I think that's there for a reason. I don't know what I was doing in that delivery room. Um, but here I am seeing this woman pushing, well, she wasn't pushing yet, but contractions are coming, and she just doesn't look like herself. But there's a picture of the end. Uh, when we are done with this, uh, this pain, there's going to be a baby boy awaiting us. Um, as she gets anesthetics that are supposed to help with the pain, I'm like, she's still in pain. And to me, looking at this situation, I'm like, it just looks like it will never end. It just looks like the pain will go on and on and on. And my wife, I don't know how she's going to survive it. I'm glad I'm not the one who is there. Um, please don't say, tell her that. Um, but just the reality of going through the pain, knowing that ultimately we are going to uh, be blessed with um, this beautiful baby, I think for her made the pain, and I'm sure many mothers would agree, um, not the pain worthwhile, um, manageable, um, in light of what was, going to, um, what was going to come. 
Um, that's not to have a theology of, wow, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. No, um, that's not um, the right theology. We need to remember that God is working uh, throughout history. Uh, he's conquered evil in the death of Jesus. He's conquered the powers of evil in the death of Jesus. When Jesus rose again to life, there was a stamp on his work on the cross. And right now he lives and he reigns. He is seated on the throne. We're going to pick it up next week. Um, and that very fact um, encourages us in the present moment to remember that Jesus is seated on the throne. And that's not the, the end of the story. One day, spoiler alert, I'm that kid um, who spoils the movie. One day, God is going to bring about an end uh, to the brokenness, the suffering, um, and ultimately the powers of evil. Um, and we look forward to that day. Uh, and that vision, that hope for the future, helps us as we live in the here and now. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your great plan of salvation. Uh, thank you that you saw it fit to uh, come into a world that's broken, um, a world that we destroyed because of our sin um, and our brokenness and our desire to, um, uh, I guess, destroy your authority and to set ourselves up as the authority, um, to hand over power to the, the, the evil one. Um, we did that voluntarily. But you, we rejected you, but you came, Lord. Uh, you came to live a, a perfect life here in this world, and that you began something new as you destroyed sin on that cross. Um, that as you rose again to life, you gave us a picture of the life to come, um, a life that is free from sin, pain, and suffering. Uh, and so as we live in this moment, as we go through the most, I pray that you give us a vision of this big and majestic um, picture of who you are and what you're doing. Uh, I pray that we would never minimize sin um, or try to give simple uh, and um, cliche answers to it, um, but to embrace the brokenness of our sin and to cry out, how long, O oh Lord, uh, how long till you bring about this restored creation? Uh, please help us as we live, as we work, um, to have a majestic vision of what you are doing in our world. This we pray in your name. Amen.